Welcome, everyone, to episode 104 of Some Luck at Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we'll be diving once again into the Netflix barrel with their brand new superhero action flick, Project Power. But before we get to that, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, we joked last time about how your summer break was, uh, how your summer break was after you took the bar exam, but you really did go on summer vacation this time. How was it? It was good. I guess I tried to do all of summer in one week, which, uh, as you you know would imagine, maybe didn't have that kind of success. But um, no, we we had a lot of fun. We went up to our family lake house that we have or part owners of in northern Wisconsin. It had been like five years since I've been up there, um, so it had been quite a while. It was nice to be back. It's a long long drive. We do drive from Tennessee, so it was uh, about a thousand miles from the the cottage where we stay to to home and we did each trip there and back in two days so um you know yeah a lot of time in the car but uh got to watch some random movies um while, while i was in the car so i guess i guess that was kind of fun um and then yeah we had we had a good relaxing time there which i think is kind of what we all needed uh after you know a stressful summer obviously it's still still in this stressful year still stuck in this stressful year but uh, it was nice to get away from all that stress for uh, a short time yeah i guess a fun discussion topic could be what is your best car car movie recommendation could be a fun one to to pick your brain about yeah that's a good question uh i so i was i decided to watch a bunch of stuff off of my watch list from letterboxd um because i've been doing like some series like i've been doing the afi countdown watching the afi top 100 uh, i've also been watching a bunch of the miyazaki movies that i've never seen before um but i was like i'm gonna take a break from those i'm just gonna watch some stuff that i have on my watch list um there was nothing that like blew me away but i guess two movies that i really did enjoy crazy stupid love the steve carell uh julian moore emma stone ryan gosling rom-com was actually quite enjoyable from someone for someone who doesn't like studio comedies um i think ryan gosling (laughs) or ryan gosling but but actually what i see from this movie like they really let him cut loose and like show off his comedic chops in this movie and like directors need to start doing that because he he's probably the my favorite performance of the movie like he he's really a lot of fun to watch um and the other one i liked was inherent vice the paul thomas anderson um crime more of a comedy actually than I expected, but um, it's, I, that's one I've been wanting to watch for a while because I think it does seem like something that I would enjoy. It's it's very convoluted. The plot is very complex. You're not going to understand it the first time you watch it, um, but I still like enjoyed the ride. It's got great characters, Joaquin Phoenix, a really good supporting cast. And so I, I liked it a lot and I think I would like it even more on rewatch when I'm not trying to like figure out what's going on every five minutes. So those those would be my two, I guess, that come to the top of my my brain, but it was fun to knock some stuff off the watch list. Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson is definitely someone who I, I want us to do a countdown on in the future whenever his newest movie is coming out. I think that's coming out. I mean, probably not till 2022 now, but I know it's supposed to originally be next year. But yeah, I mean, he's one of those directors. I think it, you'd be hard pressed to say like that he has made a bad movie. I, I haven't watched every single one, but um, 
certainly none of the ones that I've seen you you could say are bad or even average, honestly. Um, yeah. I think he's he's one of the top auteurs out there for a reason. And yeah, I, w- I would love to do that countdown whenever his next movie comes out. I think that's something we should just inevitably do whenever that, definitely. that comes around. I mean, he's definitely that kind of, like you're saying, he's like that kind of director yeah. that is kind of perfect, perfectly suited for kind of thinking about what he's interested in right now that's changed. Uh, over time yeah. does inherent vice have amy adams i know the master does but does inherent no vice- uh inherent vice has reese witherspoon catherine waterston those are like the right catherine waterston, that's what it is. yeah uh, but josh brolin is actually a lot of fun in inherent vice he's pretty hilarious in the movie yeah turns out josh brolin good actor versatile yes yeah not just thanos all right scott well as already mentioned this week we will be reviewing Project Power, which is a Netflix superhero action film directed by the duo behind films like Nerve and Viral. That's Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman. Project Power follows an unlikely trio of a former war veteran, a cop, and a teenage drug dealer all united to stop the mass distribution of power, a drug that can grant the user an unpredictable superpower for five minutes and five minutes only. Project Power stars Jamie Foxx as the war veteran named Art, a.k.a. The Major, who is one of the first test subjects of Power and has a very personal vendetta against the producers of the drug. Joseph Gordon-Levitt stars as Frank, the New Orleans Police Department cop who believes police should be using Power to level the playing field against criminals exploiting the drug to commit crimes and attack the police, and Dominique Fishback as Robin, the Power drug dealer who is Frank's dealer and gets wrapped up in Art's vendetta against Power's creators. Chock full of visual effects and stuff and stuff with potentially interesting themes like post-Katrina New Orleans, exploitation of black bodies, teenage drug dealers and drug using cops. Scott, I'm curious, did Project Power make a lasting impact on you or like its titular drug were its effects only fleeting? Yeah. So, you know, you say at the top that we are uh, dipping into the Netflix bag again. And not only that, we're dipping into the Netflix like action movie, special effects driven action movie. Uh, bag once again, you know, w- with big stars also in the movie. We we've had Extraction with Chris Hemsworth. We've had The Old Guard with Charlize Theron. Yeah. Um, and so we we've seen a few of these movies now. And like you said, this this has got Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, two big movie stars there at the heart. And obviously, I I wasn't a fan of of either Extraction or Old Guard uh, for sure. But I think. I hesitate to say that the third time is the charm, but this is easily the best of the three for me. I I did enjoy this film for the most part. I think it does run out of steam towards the end, but I think that this movie remembers how to have fun, which is like something that I can't say about the old guard and extraction. That was, I think what kind of kept me at a distance uh, from those movies is that the characters just seem so lifeless. Like nobody seemed like they wanted to be there really. Um, It it just seemed, they were just very dull to me. And this movie is not that right. Like it's got a lot of panache. It has three you know, big characters at the heart, like Jamie Foxx and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, they're not phoning it in here. Like they are, uh, you know, fully dialing in to their movie star personas, I think. And I think Dominique Fishback is not someone that I had seen before, but I think she is a really strong screen presence. Uh, She's actually going to be in another movie that we're going to talk about in the news section that we just uh, had a trailer for come out this past week. But um, I'm encouraged to see what she does in the future. I think that she gives a really strong performance. Again, a strong character. All three of these characters are different. They have different motivations that I think are clearly laid out. You know, maybe they're not the most original motivations ever, but 
you know, it's an improvement over extraction where you kind of just have Chris Hemsworth like mumbling through this one monologue about his daughter or whatever, um, or wife. I forget who it is. I, I, I've already forgotten who it was that like died in the movie. Um, or child. maybe it was his son. Yeah, I, I can't even remember. Um, Some child. But, but I mean, here you have like, it's clearly established early on, you know, like you have Robin. She has this dream of, you know, being a rapper. Uh, she has a rap career. Uh, you know, she has a budding rap career or whatever. Jamie Foxx, he wants to get his daughter back. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, as you said, he's, you know, trying to clean up the police, all of this stuff. Um, so that, they, they all have clearly, uh, you know, laid out motivations, which I appreciate. And I think that their interactions are, are mostly enjoyable to watch. Like, uh, you know, the old guard was tried to be, I think, more character driven than action driven. And I think that this movie um is also someone in that vein. Um, I just think the characters are much better in this movie. And so I, uh, I related to, I connected with it more. Um, I don't think the action, like there's some cool, there's some cool moments for sure. There's some cool visual moments and set pieces and stuff. Um, but there's nothing like jaw dropping. Like there's not like a standout, maybe like, you know, like the tracking shot in, in extraction, for example. Um, or, you know, the old guard had some flashy sequences as well. I don't know. I mean, there's some interesting effects here. Like, I like the, that the, you know, the concept of the movie, the, the pill or whatever, it manifests itself in different ways throughout the movie, which which is cool. Like, I think that they get a lot out of the concept, which, uh, you know, is, is a good thing. Um, but as far as, like, the action sequences go, nothing, like, truly grabbed me. But that's okay because, I like, I again, I connected with the character. So even if I wasn't, like, wowed by the action that was going on, like, I was still invested in the action because I wanted these characters to be okay. I wanted them to survive, whatever. Uh, and so, like like I said, it, it runs out of steam towards the end. You know, you, you talked about a lot of themes that maybe it sets up, doesn't necessarily follow through on. Like, that doesn't bother me as much because I just don't even – even think it's it's definitely not trying to be that type of movie for me like again i think it's just trying to be like a summer action movie it is weird i guess that, that some of those things are sprinkled in there like you know there is the passing comment about like the last time men in suits showed up here or whatever you know you know how things went you know alluding to hurricane katrina and fema and whatever um and you know th there are some times when they like maybe are, are flirting with it or setting it up but i don't know that they're really interested in going anywhere with that and may maybe you know maybe like to you, that is, you know, a, a bigger issue than it was to me. Um, but I just kind of wanted a, an action, a fun action movie. If those things had come along with the movie, sure, great. That would have been like, a, you know, a icing on, on top of the cake. But I think as far as a, a fun action movie, this mostly delivered and definitely delivered more than the other two movies that we've talked about. Yeah, I think I agree to some extent. I still think The Old Guard is better than this personally. And it's interesting that I feel like a lot of what you're saying around characters felt more engaging, like relating more to them or connecting more to them. I think I kind of felt that more in The Old Guard than I did with Project Power, because honestly, I don't think these characters are particularly interesting in Project Power. I mean, father wants his daughter back. Cool. Police officer wants to wants to clean up the streets. Cool. Teenage drug dealer wants to have a rap career cool like that's fine like it's it, it feels like whatever I, I don't actually feel like um it really leverages that too much i i agree that i think that they're that what you're saying around these performances really aren't phoned in I, I think that you know jamie jamie fox is not just dialing it in for a paycheck from netflix i mean joseph gordon levitt i mean he's kind of taken a break from acting it feels like the last few years and only just recently coming back i mean he's got quite a few movies coming out this year between the one that he was like a 
I can't remember the name of the, the movie that came out earlier this year on. I think it was like an Apple TV Plus movie. Trial um, of the Chicago Seven. I believe he's in that, isn't he? Yeah, no, he's he's in that. I was gonna say that later this year, but yeah. he's in this. He was in this movie earlier this year. That he, he was a pilot. He's in this film. He's in Trial yeah. of the Chicago Seven. So he's he's having a bit of a, I don't want to say resurgence, but a bit of a comeback in terms of the frequency he's appearing on screen. It feels like this year, and and I think this is a. I mean, it's definitely like a, a worthwhile showing from him. And I think Dominic Fishback is definitely someone. Dominique Fishback, sorry, is someone who really showcases that. Hey, you know, trust her with some more stuff. So you're talking about. I don't know how prominent her role is going to be in Judas and the Black Messiah, but I think it could be really interesting to see her in that because I think she's going to have a little bit more to do. Because honestly, I don't think these characters have much to do uh, in this film because I don't think they're developed at all. I think that they're pretty much, you know, one note and the same through the whole movie. And look, like, that's fine. It's still an enjoyable enough time. And I certainly agree that the film runs out of steam. I think that talking about like the action sequences, I don't think they did it. I mean, I, I understand what they were trying to do towards the end, and I appreciate it. They didn't draw out some of the action scenes towards the end, um, especially like the final scene. They really, they, they didn't draw that out at all. That was over pretty quickly. And I think that was a good choice. Uh, Cause I think that again, as much as I understand what they're trying to do, I, I think that I, almost by repetition rather than length, it felt like they had kind of worn out this notion of uh, we're going to show this animal like transformation or power or whatever. And, and that, and it's like cool for a couple times, but um, a, a little bit underwhelming. Although I think the visuals are mostly good in, in the film. And obviously there's some pretty, visual effects heavy sequences you know if you're thinking about some sort of that climactic action scene uh towards the end both with the face off of whoever that director was and then also the henchman who had the bones shoot out of his you know arms and legs or whatever and he used them as swords which i think is it's a cool concept and i think they make the most out of that uh so yeah i think the performances overall worked for me but i actually say that they really didn't get enough mileage out of out of their premise and maybe by premise i mean more around this setup around everything that's going on in, in the film. I think they get plenty of mileage out of the drug, but they ask a lot of questions about the drug, about all this other stuff around exactly what you're saying there. You know, the post Katrina, new Orleans, the you know black exploitation, which I mean, I've never seen a film just so well set up just to talk about like, and explore, you know, the exploitation of black bodies for power. I mean, it's literally the name of the drug. Um, and it just seems like, yeah, they're not interested in doing that. I just don't know why they'd even throw it out there if they're not interested in doing it. Cause they don't need to. And, um, and Jamie Foxx does make like a passing comment or, does, yeah, or something absolutely. about like it, it's it's the same as everything else. You know, it, it the power is with the people who have the most already or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some references to oppression of, you know, black people and especially in the context of, of this sort of thing and using using them for power. Because, you know, we know that this drug is kind of being synthesized. It seems like in, in some way from his daughter um something like that that's that's what i inferred at least <laughs> i don't know if that's right or not but uh yeah overall i think that there's a lot of interesting stuff there and like a lot of netflix films there's a lot of interesting stuff on the surface but i don't know like i feel like this is another movie i'm just going to forget about next week from netflix and that's okay i mean i think we got plenty of movies like you said like maybe that is ultimately just all it's trying to be i think there's some weird illusions to doing something more that it could have explored and it didn't didn't certainly didn't take advantage of but I suppose next month starts when starts Netflix hit, hitting you with films that they want you to think about for a little bit, a little bit longer. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, it is weird that they set those things up and don't follow through. It doesn't score higher. Like, I mean, it definitely loses a few points for me, like because it doesn't have anything really much going on beneath the surface. But I think if you want a, a good time action movie, then then this will get the job done. As far as the characters I agree, like their motivations aren't that interesting. Um, 
but they are entertaining to watch. I think maybe is is what I was trying to say, and that is not right. how I felt about like the the characters in the old guard or extraction. Like I just again, I, I found them kind of dull and flat. Um, and here, I thought the actors were at least doing their best to to give some you know panache, some fun, some energy to their their characters, and that resonated with me. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably true for the central leads in terms of feeling like their characters are a little bit more full of life than certainly either than Chris Hemsworth and some of the people in the old guard. But again, I, we, we explored it on that reason that that's, that's probably for a reason and, and more down to the, to the writing than the performances, at least in terms of the creativity of the performances, I should say. But moving on from that, from general impressions and talking more about that cast, you know, there's sort of the three central leads of this film. And honestly, there's really not much else. There's like one scene per every other supporting actor, but let's start with the leads, Scott. Uh, of the three central leads, you got Jamie Foxx, you got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you got Dominique Fishback. Who do you want to talk about? Who stood out to you? I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll single out Jamie Foxx because I think that he's quickly becoming a guy, honestly, that I'll watch him do most anything. I, I think he's just a, a really strong screen presence. I think he is a genuine movie star. He has that movie star energy, and that is what elevates this performance and this character in this movie. Again, when, when his motivations, you know, you could even say they're pretty similar to Chris Hemsworth's, I guess, in Extraction. You know, he's, he's motivated by something that has happened in his past with, you know, his family member. He wants to get his daughter back in this case. Um, and, you know, we see flashes of that throughout the movie. The first time we see it, you know, is when he, like, is smiling at the, the little girl and stuff at the start of the movie. Um, but, you know, because he just has such great charisma on screen, I think he really he really elevates that familiar arc and familiar character. And, you know, he's really sort of, I feel like he was, like, meshing a few of his performances. Like, you know, I think when it started out, like, you know, he's playing this sort of, like, cool, hard-edged guy. And I was like, oh, this is, like, his baby driver character again, right? Like, or he's... Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very almost sinister in a way. And I think they they want you to kind of think of him as like, uh, you know, a, a villain a little bit, you know, kind of a loose cannon at the beginning. But then, you know, he has this one thing, right? His daughter, um, uh, you know, is is out there and that's what he's really motivated by. And, you know, you know, when he teams up with Robin that he's going to, you know, end up taking taking to her and that they're going to, you know, team up together and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's going to get involved. So, but, uh, but then, yeah, he's also, so he's also bringing this sort of like soft-spoken, part to his character you know that maybe we saw in like a collateral or even a Django in a way like I think uh he he has a you know a smoother side to to his uh characters that he is also tapping into so I like the way that he's meshing a lot of stuff from his career up into uh again what I think is an entertaining performance he's definitely not phoning it in um you know I don't know if he thinks this movie is going to be a classic or anything but um he he has that movie star charisma and energy, and um, I I really enjoyed watching him. And I think that the movie would have definitely lost a few points with a different star for me. So I'm I'm again I'm becoming a, a fan of I will I will watch Jamie Foxx in pretty much anything. Last year he was in, I mean I thought he should have easily been nominated for an Oscar for Just Mercy, um, and I think this is another you know in in a line of solid performances for him. I think you're right. I think he really chose a, a pretty big range here. And uh, certainly didn't need to to cash that Netflix money, but he did nevertheless. And so respect for that. I think for me, Do- I mean, talking about Dominique Fishback, I, I don't want to necessarily yeah. leave Joseph Gordon-Levitt out of this because I think he also gives a pretty good performance. But Dominique Fishback, seeing someone who I didn't know at all and didn't see her come in here and and really it feel like at times really just kind of own the screen, even with these other movie stars on the screen with her. I feel like she I don't think she stole the show necessarily, but I, I certainly think she stands toe to toe 
with people like Jamie Foxx and, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt in their scenes. And she feels like this really believable teenager who is clearly doing something, you know, she's really in over her head to some extent, obviously with dealing power and things like that. But also this really, to your point, what you're talking about earlier, like relatable character of she has these dreams and wishes and she wants to accomplish them while also taking care of her family, things like that. I mean, the whole reason she's dealing power is to pay for her mother's surgery and whatnot. I think that you can, you can have a lot of empathy for that. And, her performance feels very relatable in that sense and very believable uh, even more so than that. So I guess I just had a lot of appreciation for that performance because I mean, I don't know if you necessarily call her a child actor because I think she's probably, I mean, look, she's probably older than us, right? Like honestly, um, but uh, overall I think it was a, uh, it's a good showing to, to see her on screen and, and have that believability of character, even if she's not, you know, of a similar age to the character she was playing. Uh, Cause we'll see Ben Affleck as a 17 year old in, in a few months. So there's your believability out the window. Yeah. Uh, no, I think she's really good too. And I think the moments when she is rapping, uh, you know, I think she really, you know, gets some new layers and, and uh, really lights up the screen when she, yeah. d- during those scenes, it, re- it reminded me of like, Almost like, you know, not on the same level, but like Jesse Buckley and Wild Rose, like when she would go up on stage and start singing, right? Like it, it was like a whole new side to her performance. Like she really just came alive. Not that not that she wasn't, you know, enjoyable and entertaining uh, to watch when she wasn't singing. But like, you know, th- there's really a new dimension to the performance uh, when, you know, she was singing and when Dominique Fishbeck and Robin is rapping here. Um, and so I liked that element of the movie you know again even if it's a familiar like hey i have this dream that is you know hopefully gonna get me out of this life and i'm gonna be able to support my mother and all this stuff but um the way that they integrated it into the the plot was was pretty well done i thought and i i thought they they picked a good actress for it like they picked someone who sounds like a, a rapper when she is rapping so yeah those are really good moments i mean yeah the whole the whole rap you know, impromptu sort of, uh, I forget what the right word for it is, but like rap with Jamie Foxx was freestyling. Yeah. Yeah. Freestyle. rap. <laughs> and he's, yeah, he's given her a bunch of words. That's a really great scene. I thought. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's, it's a film, right? He's <laughs> not making words up on the sure, spot, sure. but it's, but written, it's, but it's really know, good rap. Anyone who listens to a lot of rap and hip hop will tell you it's as much about the flow as it is the lyrics and like the flow totally. you can't manufacture. Like she, sure. that, that is, she actually has to sound like, you know, she knows what she's doing. She ha- has, you know, wrapped before and she definitely does right like i think she has a very good flow when she's doing this yeah maybe jamie fox can help him help her out with that since he is a grammy award-winning musician although i'm not sure for rap music um anyway yeah that's you know he i think he did have some some rap or hip-hop stuff it might have been more r&b but yeah he, yeah he was he was featured on a kanye west song like that well, there you go. Probably something hip hop tangent then at the very least. Yeah. Uh, any, yeah. Anyway, those are the performances. Scott, I'll give you a, a minute here if you want to mention anything about Joseph Gordon-Levitt before we do move on. But I mean, it, just to say he's entertaining. Like, I hate the fact that he was wearing a freaking Steve Gleason Saints jersey for a large majority of the movie. But to his credit, right, he, he pulls off the impossible task of making me like someone who's wearing a Saints jersey. So I think that's a credit to his performance. He He brings this nice like there's a, there's a whole running joke about like how he's trying to be Clint Eastwood. And I think like that is like the, the persona he gives off here. He's like, they got this like sort of cowboy cop swagger. He's doing this Southern accent. It's not a new Orleans accent. It's not a Louisiana accent. Let's be quite frank about that. But like if it, it still f- fits the character, I think. And, and so again, I think he, he, th- there's no reason for him to like 
not phone it in here, but he doesn't phone it in, right? Like, I think he could have easily just showed up, collected his paycheck. He's got big movies coming out later this year, like you said, but uh, he's having a good time here, and I had a good time watching him. Yeah, I he he pulled it off, I, I suppose. I, I don't know if I was super, if I super cared about his character. Like I said, I'm not sure I super cared about any of these characters. He's the least interesting of the three, I would say. Yeah, because he also feels like the most basic i don't know what the right word for that is i mean i guess they're all kind of basic in a way but he's just like i want to clear the streets of you know the horrible drug that's ravaging my city kind of thing which is fine i mean there's nothing wrong with that i'm not i don't mean to make make fun of that it's a very lot it's a very uh, admirable ambition but uh i don't know if there's necessarily too much to do with it uh or however you want to phrase that anyway moving on from that, also earlier 7500 i think is the name of the film that i was thinking of yeah that's it that. i knew it was a number something with a number I think maybe it was on Amazon. It was on one of the streaming services. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, so mo- moving on from that, I, I actually I'll, I'll pause and say, would you like to say anything about any of the supporting characters who you think each had about five minutes on screen? Yeah, I mean, I was excited that Courtney B. Vance was in here, but unfortunately, I don't think he he has much to do. His character actually ends up being somewhat important in the end, but like he doesn't really come back on screen. No. Um, and so that was kind of disappointing because I think he is. Uh, like like when I first saw him as a police chief, I was like, yeah, this is a this is a good role. He has that like authoritative thing when he comes on screen. But yeah, it's it's lar- it's a largely wasted role. And other than that, I guess uh, I, w- I wouldn't single anyone. I, I Machine Gun Kelly, like I, I wanted him to have more of a role in the movie because I think he is also someone who is pretty charismatic uh, in the couple of things that I've seen him in. But his character goes away pretty early in the movie, much like um, much like Courtney B. Vance. So there's really not much to say about the sporting cast. Goes away. Well, I didn't want to spoil anything. Okay. Self-immolated. OD'd on drugs. Um, There there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Courtney B. Vance. Always, always wishing for more Courtney B. Vance. I I don't know if he'll ever top his uh, his turn as Johnny Cochran in. Yeah, well, People yeah, I mean, he's never been given another role maybe like that, like where he's, you know, kind of front and center. It's to just chew on the scenery like he did in that show. Uh, and yeah, he played it very well in uh, People versus OJ. Yeah, I was trying to think of he's actually really been in very much since then. I, I guess he was uh, he was in the photograph earlier this year. I don't know if that was a significant role. Oh, though. right. Yeah. Um, he's actually in Lovecraft Country, isn't he? It starts tonight. Oh, cool. OK, yeah. I don't know if it's a I mean, I don't think it's a big role, but I think he's on the cast list. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, moving on from there, I agree. There's really not much to say about the supporting cast here. Unfortunately, there's like a couple other people who have, you know, their scene or moment in the film. But that that's really it. Um, I guess moving on from there, though, and talking about some of these uh, elements, other elements of the film. I mean, we have the visual effects um, and the action sequences. So why don't we go there first, Scott? I think we're both kind of on the same page about, you know, they're fine action sequences, right? Like they're not, you're probably not going to write home about them, but they're also not super campy or gimmicky or clearly like under budgeted because Netflix will throw money at anything pretty much, I think. But overall, what did you think of the action and the effects and everything they, they managed to accomplish there? Yeah, I mean, nothing is super jumps out. I did like the fight with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and the guy towards the end, right, where he's like breaking his arm or whatever, and it spins around, oh, yeah. and comes back around. I thought that was really cool. Um, I uh, like I said, I like the way that they do different things with like the the power uh, pill. Like it manifests itself in different ways. Like I said, like it gives you different powers sometimes, um, different animals. 
Yeah, which which honestly, I was thinking about Shazam when I watched that, and the fact that they had the whole seven deadly sins thing, like as like the setup, and then like did nothing with it. Like the the seven deadly sins were just like the henchmen, like the gargoyle things or whatever that um, yeah. that Savannah had or whatever. But um, but I think this movie does a pretty decent job. Like when I heard the premise of the movie, I was like, this is limitless, right? Like this is this is basically limitless. It's not. I mean, like there's there's a few twists on it. Um, but I thought I like I think the time aspect made for some interesting, yeah, I, you know, makes for some suspenseful moments in, in the movie. I think, and uh, although they don't really do much with with the time, no, they, it's there. They don't. Um, and and I did get some serious old guard vibes when like the bullet is like coming out of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's head or whatever. Like it, that's like the same thing that was like happening. They probably did the all those guard. visual effects at the same time. Yeah, I know. I was like, they were using deja vu. Um. But yeah, I, I don't know. I liked the uh, the scene with the girl and like the frozen tank. Um, oh, yeah. I, th- I thought that was a cool sequence and the way that it was shot, like from her perspective at times. Yeah. So like you couldn't really see exactly fully what was going on. I, I thought that, that was a you know interesting moment of camera work there and an otherwise pretty standard movie from like a cinematography standpoint. Yeah, you stole my you stole my favorite scene. Oh, oh all right. Well. No, it's okay. No, that is a cool scene. It's like the it's the like every, everyone on this podcast knows that I'm I'm all I'm all in on interesting camera work, and that really is like the that is like the the tracking shot from Extraction, I guess, for this. Yeah, movie. it's obviously much shorter, but this version of that, yeah. it is just it is like a one shot of them just going. I mean, most of it's probably visual effects anyway. When outside the tank, uh, it's probably all shot on a green screen. But anyway, they they do something interesting there because obviously you have the foreground and the background and a lot of interesting stuff going on. And mm-hmm. I like the suspense of not being able to your point here to not be able to see what's really going on outside the tank that well, other than Jamie Foxx just kicking, but we're like a, we're a dead horse about if a movie like purposefully like blinds us to part of the action, we like love it. Like yeah. you, you waves, talk about, like, and... waves, 1917, like these movies where it's like stuff is going on that we can't really but see. That's how you build suspense. Yeah, in no, interesting it's, way. it's an effective way to do that from a visual perspective. I agree. You hear that, guys? Hire Roger Deakins to do your cinematography, and you'll probably have a good, good camera. Even, even Roma, right? Like the beach yeah. scene, right? You don't know what's going on in the water. It's just like following her the whole time as she goes out in the water. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's yeah. there's some some good examples of it recently, and I think this is another one. So, Scott, pivoting back to the film. <laughs> no, I'm no, I'm kidding. Uh, I mean, no. Project Power, Roma, pretty much the same film. Like, <laughs> yeah, Netflix auteurs. Yeah, exactly. Also, Quran and Henry Houston, Ariel Shulman. Of course. Um, same same level. They won the same number of director awards, right? Totally. Uh, anyway, yeah, the action sequences they're fine. Like, I think that it wasn't even immediately clear to me what the gimmick of the film was, right? Like, at first, it seems like the power is random every time you take the pill. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe it is, but I think it's the same every time for you. It's like what your power is, right? That the drug unlocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look like, I don't know. Because like Jamie Foxx is talking about that only only he can take the specific pill that he had. Like, does that mean it's for the specific power? It's very confusing. Well, they don't. Uh, yeah, there, there's the whole part at the beginning too, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like telling the guys about and. I think it's confusing because you don't know whether he's like telling the truth or whether he's like, you know, messing around because he's obviously trying to like stop them in this particular scene. But he's telling them that like, hey, like you, if you take this, yeah, maybe it's really awesome. Like maybe you'll have super strength or speed or whatever, but also maybe you'll have a really crappy power or like it'll hurt you or whatever. Or you explode, uh, right? There's like, yeah, like, I think that's what he was saying. Because right? yeah. one yeah. of the one of the people later on, I think towards the end of the film, takes it and. I yes. think it's might be it's in that under it's in that bar scene that you're talking about with the yeah with the yeah, woman yeah. in the tank. Um, um, 
we'll yeah, take that was kind of gruesome. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so so I think that is like kind of explaining it a little bit, but also, like I said, because of the way that scene, like the, the way that it, the role that it plays in the plot, like you're not sure whether he's like fully telling the truth or, um, yeah. or, you know, lying. And I think they could have done a better job of like explaining fully how it worked. Yeah. I think they wanted to obscure it a little bit to have like some sort of like a uh, cool factor when they actually reveal it's like yeah. animal powers or whatever. Like, especially when he's talking about the pistol shrimp at the end of the film. Yeah. <laughs> what a funny animal. Um, but overall, I'm not sure that it works super well yeah. in terms of that, or they take advantage of that fully, almost, almost by their own intention, because they don't really kind of reveal to you what it is that they're doing uh, until much later on. But whatever, right? Like it, it works okay, and can move on from it. Fun fact: the Pistol Shrimps were a, a women's rec league basketball team in uh, L.A., I believe. That was that are several different celebrities have played on. The one that I remember was Aubrey Plaza, I believe, was played on their team a lot. But uh, there's actually a podcast called I don't think they do it anymore called Pistol Shrimps Radio, and it was like these two comedians, and they would it was literally them announcing Pistol Shrimps games. But you know they would do bits and stuff in the in the middle of it, but all, while also calling the game. It, it was, that's all I could think of when they were talking about Pistol Shrimps in this movie. That was how do you that. even know about that? Some of the weird knowledge that you have is just so yeah, random. podcast rabbit holes. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, it's like some like This American Life you listen to or something one time about pistol yeah. shrimps. Yeah, you never heard that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a classic episode yeah. three hundred and sixty two. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, uh, so we'll move on from that and talk more, I guess, about sort of the setup of the whole film, like the context for it and character development story. Like, I guess the like super basic question is like, does a story about a guy trying to rescue his daughter who's being exploited to create this drug. Like, was it compelling for you? Did it work? It sounds like it got you in. It was, it was good enough to get you engaged, but why don't you talk a little bit more about how you feel about the character development, and the story arc of the movie? Yeah. Well, like, well, I think that, you know, when the guy is Jamie Foxx kind of to my Fair. earlier point, that helps. Um, I wanted them to do maybe a little bit more with like, I, and they do do it in one scene, which I thought was good. The scene in the car, right. Where like, he's kind of like losing sight of who is his daughter and like, yeah, you know, whether Robin is his daughter or not. Like I thought that that was, uh, you know, there's the whole scene where he's like reenacting her death basically. And you're flashback her death, but he's also why it was happening. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I guess I don't really either. Maybe it was something about being in the car or maybe she, did she ask him something about how, his daughter died. I don't know, but um, it's, it seemed like he was having this sort of like PTSD, like flashback yeah. to it happening, which I think would be valid if he did. Cause right. Like he had this huge car crash and mm -hmm. his daughter. But it does kind of come out nowhere, yeah. Right. But they, they don't really give any context for it, which is a theme of this film. I think of <laughs> giving context yeah. or something and not following up on it. But, and ahead. I also think as far as the daughter goes, like we, we get to that. We finally see the daughter like towards the end of the movie. And like, she's yep. ostensibly very important to the plot, right? Because she's, she is like, they're like yeah. harvesting her or whatever, because she's like special. Um, and I don't know. It almost made me think, Oh, here's the sequel setup, right? Because we have like this very important character who pops up at the end uh, in, in the daughter, obviously like, I don't know, like Jamie Foxx, he kind of like pieces at the end of this movie. Like, it's kind of like, ah, hey, if there's a sequel, I'm not going to be in it. But I don't know. I just thought it was a little strange that they they brought this important character who, I mean, not only important because she's the daughter, but important like to the plot of the movie because she, she's like, 
you know, special or whatever. Um, She's and the source of power. There's really nothing for the her to do, and um, you know, e even after the movie, right? You, you get the sense that there's not like a ton of closure based on what happens at the end of the movie. Like there, I think at the towards the end, they're even like, "So what do we do now?" And that's when Jamie Fox is kind of like, "Oh well, if something happens again, y'all got this. Don't I'm out here." And so, yeah, I, I thought there was a little bit of like sequel baiting, not as obvious as in the old guard, um, but I think that that was a little eye rolly, I guess. But yep. uh, otherwise, you know, it's a simple plot, but I was, uh, you know, it, it, drove me, it drove me along, you know, largely because I think of the charisma of Jamie Foxx. Yeah, that's fair. I keep saying that his daughter is the source of power but i don't actually know that it's true i think it's maybe a little ambiguous they really just talk about her as being like the next evolution in humankind or yeah. whatever so i don't know what they really were doing with her because i have to i have to i think i say that and i think well actually they had power before they had her right because that's the whole thing they were testing power on them and she ended up not needing to continue to take the drug yeah. um but anyway <laughs> definitely a sequel there's definitely a sequel setup but you're right it's a little bit more subtle probably yeah. Than uh than the old guard, which is about as sequel baity as any MCU film that we already know the next five films are a quiet out. place. I mean the the last oh, yeah. shot of that. Well, that's just a nice ending shot. Honestly. It, it is a good ending shot, but it is also sequel bait for sure. Yeah. I mean, if they don't pick up right after that happens in Quiet Place, I know it's probably gonna have a time skip after that, but yeah, if it doesn't pick up right after that with her unloading a shotgun into another her aliens, you know, head. walking out of the house like if it's <laughs> yeah. all the dead bodies or whatever. All these dead, all these dead, very creepy aliens mm -hmm. on the ground. Anyway, uh, I think the last thing to cover before we do wrap things up is is more just around these sort of themes that we talked about at the beginning that they, well, to say to call them half baked is maybe generous in my opinion, but th this like sort of post Katrina, uh, New Orleans, the exploitation of of black bodies, which I mean it's very relevant even for today, right? Uh, talking about uh, those sorts of themes in in you know, the media and popular culture, things like that. And why, I know we know we've talked about this a little bit already, but why they, this film would, would set them up, not just in terms of the bodies on the screen, but also in like what they, what they talk about in the script as well. Um, and not fall through on that. Like, do you think that was, I mean, I'll put my cynical cap on. Is that Netflix semi pandering, but also not trying to, you know, go a toe too far or, or do you just think it's, you know, just just a byproduct of, of the script and these people telling a story that's relevant to today, but not being interested in being, you know, the super, you know, um, ex explorative film about all yeah. these really controversial issues that are relevant. I mean, I think that's true of the second thing that you're talking about there, like the the exploitation aspect. I, I don't know. I think I think it's just kind of like, a, hey, we're going to bring this up in one scene you know, we're going to have Jamie Foxx say a couple of things that make you go like, oh, yeah, and like nod your head. And then that's it. Right. Like, hey, we're back to the action movie. But the whole Katrina thing, I thought they could have done more with that. And talking about Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character and how he doesn't really have that interesting of an arc or motivation that he, you know, wants to clean up the the police force, the streets, whatever. I think that that could have been like the angle to make this a little more interesting, like saying, hey, look, here's this guy who is he is very clearly the, this homegrown cop. Right. Like even if his accent isn't uh, Cajun or whatever, he talks about being from New Orleans. He freaking wears the Saints jersey for the whole movie. You know, that's that's not an accident. I think 
they want to remind you in every scene that, hey, this is a New Orleans born and bred guy. And so I think that that could have been the the way to make that a little more creative, right? By making him be like, hey, I want to go out here and do this for myself because we saw what happened when, you know, we tried to bring in outside help, you know, after Katrina, whatever, they messed everything up. And so this is our chance to like, you know, show that New Orleans, we can do it for ourselves or whatever. Um, and I'm this homegrown cop. I'm going to be the one. If anyone's going to clean up New Orleans, it's going to be somebody from New Orleans. And, you know, but that's literally only one line. Like we said, like they really, it seems like they want to convey that all with that one line where he talks about, you know, the men in suits or whatever showing up after Katrina. Um, and that's obviously, that's not enough to, to make it an established idea. But there was something there. Uh, they just, they didn't go... Uh, too deeply into it, uh, unfortunately. And like I said, as far as the other part goes, that didn't bother me as much because I just felt like they weren't trying to do much with that. But I do think they wanted us to get a little something more from the Katrina angle. Yeah, it's really interesting talking about a Netflix film set in New Orleans. I mean, we just had another one, like, or just an, a, a different one a, a few months ago with The Lovebirds. Mm-hmm. Well, technically not a Netflix film because it was, I mean, it was bought by Netflix after it was already made by Paramount. But you know, having another film set in New Orleans, it feels like two in such short order when we don't, I mean, it's very rare. It feels like to have a movie set in New Orleans and then both films, you know, kind of show visually, it feels like what that looks like and, and explore it maybe very on the very surface level and not really dive into it at all. I wonder if just like that's already been done by Treem, right? Like <laughs> HBO has already done it. HBO and David Simon have already done it. Why, why keep going? But I think that that show is not, doesn't really have a mass appeal. I mean, I know it's David Simon and he's really popular, but I don't think that show has much mass appeal, whereas, yeah, yeah, as as something like, you know, this film, which I'm sure we're going to hear in two weeks time, that this is the probably the new New highest (laughs) new most watched film in Netflix history or whatever. Um, No way to verify it, but just trust you watched it for what is it? Two minutes or two seconds? I don't even remember Um, whatever it is. That's their new statistic. But uh, extraction had 90 million like the old guard is tracking for like 78 or 80 or something like that. Uh, I'm sure this film's going to be up there, right? Like this film is, it's got movie stars. It's got uh, the appeal of being a superhero action film and things like that. And so I wonder if it can take that and uh, ride it. And it's just unfortunate that it doesn't dive a little bit deeper and and use that action vehicle. It's going to be popular. It's going to be talked about. It's going to get eyes on it. And to talk about this thing that's really real. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know. I think Henry used, I assume is like not American just by the name, or at least not American, at least his parents aren't, I guess he could be American. Um, like Sean Malley, I don't know if they have any new Orleans background or if this is something that they care about, but I think that if you did have a new Orleans filmmaker, it probably would have been in there a little bit more, but not every film is to be have a filmmaker from the city. It's based in. It's not, not a critical thing. So I don't want to harp on that too, too much, but I guess what that's got is right as we wrap things up, kind of the question that was on my mind is, you know, obviously superhero films, comic book movies, things like that. Incredibly popular in this day and age, especially with the MCU, but even the DCEU, you know, with varying levels of success, you could say, of course, in terms of quality of the films, but the MCU for, for certain, you know, catapulting that genre into the mainstream, you know, far beyond what Spider-Man did, you know, the Spider-Man trilogy did before it and things like that. And I'm curious if you think that it's almost like the, all the air that that genre has is just like sucked up by, you know, marvel and dc like forget the universes but just marvel and dc movies and as much as there are other movies being made i mean you talked about the beginning like the old guard is i mean that is a superhero action film you know bloodshot early this year with vin diesel (laughs) i didn't see it but um it is a film that came out like i think there's been some other ones recently as well like uh, a glass last year 
which is a you know, sort of independent superhero type film, Brightburn, which is like a little bit of a twist with the horror genre. Like there's all there are still these other films that are being made outside, you know, that are superhero films, at least partially superhero films. Yeah. If not explain other things like but like it, these films, of course, obviously do not get the same you know, eyes on them as the MC DC. Like, like, does it feel like to you that this genre is just like so soaked up that it's almost like a, it's almost like a fruitless endeavor to take on a superhero film if, if you're not under the Marvel or DC banner? I mean, it they just seem like so different from these films that we're talking about. Like, you know, you describe them as superhero films, like you know, like Brightburn and Old Guard and this, like, and yes, they are superhero films, but I just don't think people think of them that way. I don't think when when you're watching this movie, you're thinking, oh, hey, this is a superhero film, even if it technically is. And that's because it doesn't have these familiar characters, right? It doesn't have it's not based on a comic book. It doesn't have like the you know, Marvel logo or the DC logo at the beginning. I think that well, the old guard is based on, I mean, some of them are based on comic books, but yeah. I okay. Yeah. Works. Fair. That's, that's yeah. fair. But um, it doesn't have these familiar, familiar logos is my point uh, or familiar characters. They don't have the imprints. Yeah. Yes. And so I think that, um, you know, number one, with these not being part of any kind of universe or anything like that, that's, you know, that's one aspect, but then, yeah, like I said, the lack of familiarity, I think we just don't th even think of them as superhero films because they don't have anyone that we recognize. And we've come to think of um, superhero films as having all of these, you know, recognizable characters and they're all connected. And, um, and th these movies just, just don't have any of that. And so I just, I almost see them as occupying a, a different space than those, those Marvel and, and DC films altogether. I don't know, maybe they'll be thrown into mixed bag and uh, the Schmodown someday, but um maybe that's the ultimate test but I, no I, I don't know that's that's an interesting question that you raise and i guess it's just not something i have thought about because i just see them as as such different things even though yes yeah. they are superhero films yeah i mean i just think about i don't i a netflix release film is going to be a little bit of an exception because look like it's on netflix you don't have to pay any like if you're a subscriber you already have access to it you don't have to pay extra money for it but you think about something like brightburn which is a horror film so it's different Something like Glass, which did pretty well at the box office. I didn't. I wouldn't say it overperformed, but it didn't under. It didn't bomb. Um, but then something like The Green Hornet, which is a total disaster, and things like that, which aren't technically under the, you know, aren't under a DC or Marvel imprint, um, but are there. It, it just feels like it's almost. I, I guess that if you frame the question more around like a theatrical release, it feels really hard to be successful. I mean, like Hellboy is technically a superhero film too. I mean, look, like I it's mean, one thing. It's one thing if you make a good movie, right? Some of, like some of these movies are just like downright bad, and so maybe that's like maybe that's why they're not being successful. But I'm curious, just like it feels like it's a really difficult task to sell people. Hey, like you know, you like your MCU and your DC, you come check out this comic book superhero film. I mean, it's it's hard, period, regardless of genre, right? To sell someone on like something they're not like familiar with already, like that. We're seeing this all yeah, over the market, like. Disney, like, look at what they're doing with their live action movies, right? Like, they're not making Pirates of the Caribbean anymore. They're not making National Treasure. They're making, you know, Mulan and um, the Lion you know, King. Peter Pan. And yeah, they're, they're, they're just doing live action remakes of all their old movies. Like, we're not going to see these types of, you know, original live action Disney movies really anymore. Um, and, yeah. and that's because, like, they just don't get the, the box office numbers, I guess. I mean, that seems crazy to me, like, because because Pirates is one of the well, they're making biggest... two Pirates movies right now, so I don't know if that's a good example to use. That but... is true, but but Pirates is is a rare example, I think, of like they them 
you know, having a lot of success with a an original. I mean, ostensibly original, right? Like it's based on a freaking really, but... theme park ride, but um, yeah. but like you know, it's it's still one of like the biggest selling franchises of all time. Like uh, box, blows my mind every time. Numbers why? Yeah. Box office numbers wise, but I think that in the long run, they kind of sit, you know, are, are this is them saying, Hey, this this is not really a fruitful endeavor for us to keep trying to come up with original movies. We can do, we can, you know, we can get the same returns by, you know, just chalking, you know, it's safe for doing, doing the Lion King shot by shot again. Um, yeah. and I mean, for an even better example, I think of that just look at Pixar, right? Like, look at something sure. like Toy Story 4, you know, making Toy Story 4 versus making Onward. Yeah. Right? Like I know it's not, it's not the best comparison of all time. I understand, but you know, go back to the barrel on your IP. That's pr- like a proven billion dollar franchise versus onward, which again, it's not the greatest comparison because it didn't get a full run in theaters, but that film was not tracking to hit a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate. Cause like, I mean, toy story four is great. Like it's not a bad, I mean, it's a great film, but like onward is, you know, I wouldn't say it's quite as good as Toy Story 4, but it's a good movie. Like, it's a very good movie, and it's certainly worthy of making as as many, you know, dollars as Toy Story 4 would. But as much as you can point the finger at Disney and say, hey, they're not making original content, it, it's this weird feedback loop of, you know, you know, we're looking at the numbers here, and it's way safer for us to make Avatar 5000 than right yeah. <laughs> than well, original content over here and that's because the consumers bu- don't buy the tickets unless they it's something they recognize which is a point that you made too so it's this weird feedback loop that just seems to go on into eternity yeah i mean that's that's what i was going to say kind of as a final point if your name is not james cameron or like christopher nolan right like you're not going to be able to yeah. get the but, but i mean even tarantino what like once upon a time in hollywood is like his biggest ever and it was what like a couple hundred million maybe if 300, that... 300 million but yeah i think which over is, yeah. That's without China. I mean, that's without China because they didn't release it in China. True, but but generally he's not getting those types of box office numbers. Like like I said, I think if you're talking like, you know, Marvel, DC, Lion King like numbers, it's right. Nolan, it's James Cameron, it's probably nobody else. And that I guess that's that's my overall point is that it is yes, it is it is very very hard to sell someone on a film like this, even if it's based on a comic book, right? Like even if, it's, yeah. if even if it's the old guard, just because that is how the market of cinema is right now, superhero movie or not. Yeah, it's going to look a lot bleaker when theaters return in two weeks' time. Yeah. All right, Scott, let's wrap up things here. What's your favorite scene from Project Power? Yeah, so uh, talking about, like, the sense of fun that is present in this movie and, you know, not in the other movies, not in the other two movies, at least in my opinion. There, I mean, the movie does have a sense of humor about it, which I don't think the Old Guard or, or Extraction really had much of a sense of humor other than the way that the guy dies at the end of the Old Guard. But... um but there, there are some comedic moments in this. It's not like laugh out loud funny or anything, but I did enjoy the scene with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and the mom of uh, of yeah. Robin, uh, where he like pretends like he's, you know, her boyfriend or whatever. He comes out of the bathroom in a towel and like, then he starts like berating the officers. Like, why do you think that we can't be together? Because I, is it because I'm white or whatever? And it, And then she starts like playing along with it. And I don't know, I thought it was a really uh amusing sequence and i think was a good encapsulation of why i think this movie works more than those others yes and very realistic because she screams who are you <laughs> when he walks yeah. out of the bathroom yeah and nothing no one... and then of course he's allergic to her cat as well and uh there's a cat that lives here? Like, i thought that i thought that you said you lived here why do you think i can't live here because i'm white yeah Ludic- ludicrous scene there but it's funny it, was, yeah. it, it got a couple laughs for sure yeah mine we already talked about it is the 
kind of underground bar scene. I guess it's like a, trying to sell power to this new investor, I guess, right? And ends up with this woman taking power and having these ice abilities in this yeah. tank. And it tra- there's a tra- essentially a tracking shot, although there's not much tracking involved um, of her in the tank as there's this massive fight between Jamie Foxx and uh, all the all, kind of all the henchmen, I guess, out in the uh, in the bar area from her perspective, which very well done. Yeah, sorry. The the one thing I that we didn't really talk about, this movie definitely has the villain problem, right? Because we don't even know who the villain, villain is, really. The villain it, is exactly. the drug. There's there's this there's the guy in that scene who you think is like in the first scene of the movie and you're like, "Oh, yeah. he's the villain." No. Then, then there's the woman um who, who even like, is that? I don't even I don't, know what her don't know. name was. And then there's the guy who took his daughter, right? Who's in the photo and all of that like That's uh, the same person as Oh shoot! No, it isn't. It's a different. No, person. there's there's three different people that I'm talking. That's right. To. <laughs> Biggie, I think, is the guy who takes his daughter. Right? Like, is it? Yeah, probably. The big bald guy. Oh uh, my god! But, but the point is, big time villain problem. We don't even know who the villain really is. Uh, and I think, <laughs> I mean, if you do want to consider this to be a superhero movie, right? Like the real villain was is. the friends we made along the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Maybe the real villain is the drug, but I don't know. It, it takes a lot to pull that kind of thing off. And uh, if you want to be a superhero movie, you need to have a good supervillain, and they definitely did not have that. I'm sure they're saving it for their second movie. Not unlike the old guard. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there you have it. All right, Scott, put a score on it out of 10. What are you giving Project Power? Uh, 6.8. It is flawed, but I still enjoyed it. I think it is definitely worth a watch over, you know, those other two action movies that we have talked about. Um, I came in with low expectations and they were very pleasantly uh, exceeded. I think it has a lot of good performances and uh, is a pleasant enough hour and 50 minutes or so. So I recommend it. 6.8. There you go. Sterling recommendation. Pleasant enough film. (laughs) Hey, that's much more glowing than I gave to the old guard or uh, extraction for sure. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, Scott, I'm, I thought I was going to be lower, even lower than, than, than I am from you, but I'm giving it a a 5.9. So it look, it's, I think it's, safely in the crop of films that look there's nothing else going on right now you can turn it on and have Mm -hmm. a fun enough time fun enough time and uh if you had to pay any money to see this film certainly don't subscribe to netflix to see this film so yes i i do agree with that yeah all right well that should just about do it for our discussion of project power let's take a short break and when we return we'll be covering some recent news about Mulan's release. Wow, some real, some dropping some real bombs. I guess about a little bit ago now, like a week and a half ago now. But that we'll we'll be talking about that as well as doing a lightning round of recent trailers. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, like I mentioned before the break, we have a couple things to talk about. More than a couple, I guess, technically, if you bundle in all those trailers that we're going to talk about. But first, let's talk about Mulan. We got the news, huge news, that Mulan is going to skip, for the most part, its theatrical release. It still will release theatrically in international, uh, amongst international audiences that are available and that will accept the movie. I know China is obviously going to be a big target for that as well as some other countries. But in the U.S., it seems that it's going to be pretty much completely skipping its theatrical run. I don't know. It might show in some like random drive ins or movie theaters, but I doubt. And I mean, none of the big movie theaters are going to show it for sure. And I'm not even sure it's going to actually pop in any in any theaters. And that is because it is going straight to Disney Plus 
but it's not going straight to Disney Plus like your Artemis Fowl or any other has Disney Plus done any other straight to Disney Plus movies. I'm not even sure. Um, but it's not going to be like Artemis Fowl where it's just going to pop on the streaming service. You can watch it whenever you want. No, it's going to be behind a paywall. It's going to be behind a $30 paywall. And that is a steep price. I mean, Scott, we've talked about on here how we think the $20 rental price for a lot of these VOD, straight to VOD releases is steep and probably inhibits a lot of people from checking those out. I mean, there's some exceptions there. If it's a family film, you got four people at home. That's a pretty good deal for $20. But for people who are usually attuned for you know a $5 rental price or a $4 rental price and a $20 buying price, it was a bit of a bit of a tough a tough pill to swallow. I think when we saw the twenty dollar rental price on some of these new straight to VOD. So naturally, when we saw the thirty dollar price for Mulan, people are like, "Wow, that is really steep." And I think that's fair. We did get a little clarification on the point that it's not thirty dollars for a forty eight hour rental. It's thirty dollars to permanently unlock the film on your Disney Plus account as long as you are subscribed. I read that as if you unsubscribe for a period of time and come back, you'll have to buy it again. Yeah. Although I doubt too many people. We'll be doing that. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but it seems unlikely that people would be doing that. And so it's behind this $30 paywall where you get you know permanent access to it uh, after after you unlock it, which definitely makes the pill easier to swallow because it feels more like buying than and even though it's not really the same. It feels more like buying than renting. But Scott, $30 price tag for Disney, who also I think in the same report announced they had 60 million subscribers, which is quite a mean feat since I think they predicted 60 million in like 2022. I'm sure the pandemic has helped a little bit with that and things like Hamilton, Hamilton, et cetera. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But overall, Scott, what do you think of this news? I think it's a a lot to process, but we've had a little bit of time to think about it. Yeah, hearing the price, (laughs) all I can think about is a drunk Dylan McDermott and uh, the perks of being a wallflower as the dad being like, $20, what do you need $30 for? And then handing his son $40. Um, It's a lot of money. Um, And I, at the same time, like, Look, we've we've talked about this before. I don't think we need to go down this road of like reciting the same point of, well, look, if it's if you're a family or whatever, then it costs way more than this to go to the the movies. And look, Mulan is a family movie. Like this is absolutely the type of movie that where you would take your entire family. You take the wife and kids. It would cost you, you know, upwards of fifty dollars probably with concessions. And so for people like that, great. This this will be just fine for them. I think they won't mind paying it. They haven't been to the theaters in months, right? So I think that they will they will do this to like uh, like I, I listen to SEN, right? And there's multiple people on there who are parents, and like Kate Mulligan was talking about how yes, I'm absolutely going to do this. I'm going to like set it up in the backyard for my kids. We're going to make like a whole movie night out of it. We're going to make popcorn, yeah. all of this stuff. Like, and I think that she's not alone in that. There are a lot of families who will do that. Definitely. And for them, it's absolutely worth the $30 for us. No way. Like, I'm sorry. It's, it's not like I love Mulan. Like Mulan is one of my favorite animated movies, one of my favorite Disney animated movies. And you're excited Uh, about this live action remake. I mean, you're on the record saying that you're more excited than your average Disney remake, at least. Well, yes, because I love the original and because it looks like it's going to be doing something different, right? Like it it doesn't seem like it's going to be a shot for shot. It's a war drama of, of the line, like the Lion King was, um, And so, so yes, but I'm not like going to pay thirty dollars for for just me to watch it. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not. Um, but like, I I get it. Like, I get why Disney is doing it. There's the family angle, like I talked about, and also like, look, we think about Disney as being like this big 
you know, bastion, like unbreakable thing. But like the fact of the matter is they are losing a lot of money on the theme parks in the coronavirus. Like a lot, a lot billions of money in the um, has been lost because of the theme parks. So like, yeah, yeah they're not going to be filing for chapter 11 next week or anything, but like they could but use chapter 10. I mean, yeah, but they could, <laughs> they could use a boost. Um, and I think this is a good movie to, because of the family angle, right? Because of the family angle to like yeah. say, hey, let's throw this out there. Let's start at a price point of 30 bucks. Let's see how it does. And hey, if this works out, then we possibly have a way to recoup some cash here yeah. during the COVID times because we have Black Widow. We have, you know, a bunch of other movies. We have whatever that one, Jungle Cruise. Isn't that a Disney movie? They could drop that. Um, I mean, they could. Right now, their plan is to do it next summer. They just basically okay. do it back a year. But we'll uh, see. I mean, like, it, it could change. It could change for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, Jungle Cruise, for example, that is totally a, ty a type of movie I could see them dropping to Disney Plus or whatever. But, like, black, people are already talking about Black Widow possibly being the next one if this does well. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I think that this does make sense to, like, say, hey, let's test the waters um, and see what happens. And look, this could open the floodgates, right? Like not just Disney. Like if this works out, if this turn, if this does numbers, you could see Wonder like Woman 1984. Did maybe? Yeah, you um, could see Wonder Woman 1984 on HBO Max in a few months if this totally. goes well. Um, and so this could be a complete game changer for like the movie industry as we know it. And so I get it from Disney's perspective, even if someone like me or you, Scott, is never going to pay thirty dollars to see this movie. We'll see how desperate I'm feeling. I'm, I might pay thirty dollars for it. We'll see. Um, now, does that mean that I will not be what will not end up watching the movie? My lips are sealed. My lips are seals. But um, look, the, the the truth of the matter is here. I think is that like also if you have the appetite to wait six months, this will be three. This will be free on Disney Plus in six months. Time. Probably, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, de it definitely will be one hundred percent. Um, like I would be shocked if a year from now this still costs thirty dollars on Disney Plus, and I wouldn't be surprised if they drop the price like three months in too to like a normal twenty dollars sort of you know VOD purchase purchase price. None, none of that would surprise me. But look, if you just do the back of the envelope math, math Scott. Okay, so let's say they have sixty million subscribers on Disney Plus. If a quarter of them, if only fifteen million of them, buy this film, that is half a billion dollars. Yeah, right there. That's four hundred and fifty million dollars in Disney's pocket. Would Mulan make more than that in the U.S.? Again, this is mostly U.S. There's going to be some international audience there. But, like, that movie's not making $450 million in the, in the US, U.S. Yeah. And I know that, again, not all of their subscribers are U.S.-based right now. But, like, that is, depending on how it performs in other markets, depending on how it performs in China, if it does really well, I mean, there's limited capacity in the theaters there right now. Obviously, in a lot of theaters have shut down. But if it performs decently well there in other audiences, like, it will have underperformed their expectations, but they will have made their money back and they won't be, I think, displaced. And that's only if they do 15 million. So that's only if they do 25% of their subscribers buy the movie. And I don't think that's unrealistic. I think if anything, it could be more than that personally. Um, I think it maybe if they make 20 million off of that, then, you know, it, it, the number goes up from there. I think that's all realistic because not, I mean, most of the Disney plus subscribers are probably not, you know, 24, 25 year olds like us, Scott, that are, that are doing it by ourselves. Yeah. I mean, most people who still have their Disney Plus subscription are people who want the want the back catalog of animated Disney movies. And are we watching movies. Hamilton for the seventh time? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think there's a huge overlap in Mulan and Hamilton, right? War dramas. Not oh yeah, totally. hey, they both have music that slaps, but not this new Mulan because it doesn't have yeah. any songs. Yeah, the score to evoke the themes, I think, of those songs. But well, yeah, because you hear a reflection in the trailer, like you hear the yep. instrumental version of it. 
Yep. So I, I think overall, it's a really, it's a really interesting business. I mean, honestly, it's like a very interesting business move. And I'm really curious if it pays off. We'll see if we actually, I mean, it'll be a while before we learn whether it pays off probably, but like if it works, man, who who knows what, what will be next? Look, like ultimately Disney wants to release their movies. They, they're big temples in, in theaters because they make billion, a billion dollars and like nearly on like almost, a, you know, I feel like 50% of the movies they release, they make a billion dollars on. Um, so they want to be releasing in theaters. But the reality is that theaters are never going to be the same. And if theaters are at 30% capacity, even if you extend out like the length of time of movies in the theater, like you're never like, like on, honestly, Scott, like I, I can't even see the next time like a movie's going to make $3 billion like in game did in theaters. Like I just don't think it's going to be possible unless we like, double the ticket prices and people have an appetite to still go see a movie like that in theaters. I just don't see how it's going to happen. Um, so this, I mean, this could really be the dawn of, of a big change, especially with all these new, you know, studio driven streaming services that aren't centralized on Netflix or, I mean, Hulu is known of course by, by Disney. So it's an interesting time and Mulan is a great testing ground for it. And I, and I, it'll be interesting to see how it pays off. Totally agree. All right. Lightning round of TV. Or sorry, of movie trailers, Scott. There's quite a few yeah. uh, to to run through here quickly, and honestly, all of them look pretty good. So tell us about them. Yeah, it's crazy that like we it seems like we haven't gotten any like trailers or that many movies to like be super excited for like teases of anything yeah. for quite a while, and then all of a sudden this past week or two it was just like bombarded with them. But yeah. Scott, starting out, uh, there's a few Netflix movies to talk about, but one that is not a Netflix movie, I don't believe one that will be a theatrical release is this movie Judas and the Black Messiah, which. Um, is a is going to be a 2021 release so this will also not be coming out this year and i didn't even know anything about this film scott until like a trailer popped up on on my twitter uh, you know a few days ago and i was like wow um this is uh basically the story of uh this guy fred hampton who was the chair of the illinois black panthers um and sort of a relationship that he had with the fbi and this informant um uh but you know another attention grabbing thing about it uh is the stars daniel kaluuya is playing fred hampton and the fbi informant is played by lakeith stanfield so two of the like premier black actors right now uh are going to be starring in this film uh directed by shaka king who uh i don't know the name he has apparently made a a film before uh, several years ago but so this will not be his debut, but certainly nothing on this level. Um, Martin Sheen, Jesse Plemons, Ashton Sanders, Dominique Fishback from P- Project Power. All of these people are also going to be in this movie. Um, and yeah, just from the from the trailers, this looks like a, a possible uh, another Oscar campaign for Daniel Kaluuya, especially he is. Yeah. Uh, you know, really f- giving it like a hellfire and brimstone like preacher in, in some of these scenes. And I think this looks like it could be a really electric performance and and movie in general um, about a historical event that I and probably many other people don't know that much about. Yeah, I mean, the truth is, Scott, I we unfortunately don't have enough, I guess, tape to talk about Daniel Kaluuya as much as we should, because this guy is like absolutely electric. He's like probably the most exciting young actor for me in Hollywood. Like, yes, there's plenty. I think there's plenty of people to really keep an eye on and to like a lot who are up and coming male actors in Hollywood. But like Daniel Kaluuya is like the real deal in my book. I mean, it feels like he does something different in in every single film that he's in. And, you know, whether it's Get Out or um, Widows or, you know, insert movie that he's done, uh, you know, uh, Queen and Slim 
last year. Like what he's doing is incredibly interesting and it feels different in every role. And from the trailer of Judas and the Black Messiah, it feels different again. And honestly, I just couldn't be more excited uh, for this film and for what will hopefully be a win for Daniel Kaluuya uh, if the performance warrants it. Absolutely, Scott. He is uh, he is absolutely uh, an electric actor, like I said. And uh, yeah, if this isn't the movie that gets him an, an Oscar, some other movie will down the line. I, I am very yep. confident in that, that this guy has, uh, you know, awards gold uh, in his future. And yeah, this movie certainly looks like it could be the type of movie which will get him that attention, that awards attention. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Get, get Out was not uh, clearly what we've learned over the last couple of years is that Get Out was not, a, you know, a one off. No. It wasn't a flash in the pan. Yeah, Scott. And I talked about how Kaluuya is playing kind of a hell, hellfire and brimstone preacher role in this movie uh, at least that's what it looks like from the trailers uh and another movie that we another trailer that we got this week al- also features some hellfire and brimstone preaching and that is uh and that preaching is being done by robert pattinson in uh this film the devil all the time uh from director antonio campos um and this is a film we i think we talked about some of the casting news um yeah. tom holland yes it, it it has truly a, an all-star uh cast um at least by my book i mentioned robert pattinson you mentioned uh tom holland but further down the cast list bill skarsgård sebastian stan riley keogh eliza scanlon mia wazikowska jason clark like a ton of big names compost of course director of uh simon killer and then most recently christine which uh, film i've talked about before with that rebecca hall performance um and so he knows how to get good performances out of actors um and it looks like he he might get some here i have to say after watching this trailer this is film looks a little bit different than I was expecting. Like I said, that there's there is kind of a southern gothic flair to it a little bit, which is something that I am definitely all about. Um, but like the plot descriptions that we were reading uh, earlier on are kind of talking about, um, you know, those like post-war period and uh, I, I thought there was like a mental illness like mental hospital angle to it but I, I maybe I'm thinking of a different film but um, that definitely doesn't seem to be what we're getting from this trailer like I said it definitely has um, more of like a strange uh, su- southern gothic feel to it with Robert Pattinson playing this preacher people doing southern accents and stuff like that um, yeah. but this looks very much up my alley again and with that cast and, and director I think this could end up being one of my favorite films of the year and it is coming to Netflix um, in October or no, no in just a couple weeks yeah uh, in, in September so yeah. um, September 16th yeah we will we will be talking about that one soon and I'm very excited yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I really got the sort of the film when we originally talked about, it, I agree that it feels like it was marketed at first. I mean, clearly now I think you get a better picture of what it is, or, or maybe this is inaccurate. I don't know. Maybe the original the original thoughts here will end up being more accurate. But it, it really felt like to me from what we were reading that it was going to be some sort of like anthology film around this people in this town who are like dealing with mental illness in some way or like some yeah. PTSD, things like that. And that's not the sense at all that I got from the trailer. Um, which is fine because I'm very hot and cold on an anthology ish films. And so, you know, to have a more cohesive narrative to me, like, look, some of them, there's some fantastic anthology like films out there that I, that I really adore, but I think it's really easy to mess them up. And so I, I think it's probably a good thing in the long run that this is going to feel a little bit more uh, narratively cohesive maybe in terms of the story that it's telling really, it seems like it's going to center around this Tom Holland character um, and the forces that are like influencing him or whatever. 
going on in the film. And it, look, it's exciting. I think it's it, it's something different that Netflix hasn't really done, at least in a while. Like, I know Mud sort of, was Mud even Netflix? I don't even remember, but I feel like that sort of yeah, had some sort of like Southern so. Gothic feel to it. I just no, feel like yeah, it was on good, Netflix. That's a good comparison. Yeah. It, it was probably on Netflix at some point. Yeah. I think I watched it on Netflix, which is why I associated with it. I was going to say Them That Follow last year is, is yeah. a good example of a recent Southern Gothic film. Yeah, and it has the, I mean, that had the the whole like cult preacher family sort of thing too. Yep. So um, probably a better comparison, but I just still have not seen that yet, even though one of my favorites, Caitlin Tevers in it. So I got to make some time to watch that film. Um, but overall, yeah, I think this is looks really interesting. It's probably the one that I'm least interested of the trailers we're talking about, but that's like a really high bar, I think, right? Yeah. So, so uh, look, uh, I'm, I'm happy that, that of, you know, we, we talked about one movie that we're getting next year and you get this one in a month. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, uh, Scott, a movie that we we don't know when we're going to be getting it, uh, much to my chagrin, uh, and it seems like A24 knows how much it is to my chagrin, and they're just lording it over my head and toying with me, but uh, another- I just one of the reacts in the Facebook page. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Another film star starring, uh, starring Riley Keough, who is also in Devil All the Time, uh, and that is a movie called Zola. Uh, I mentioned this when we back when we did our most anticipated of the year, Scott. I think this is one of my honorable mentions. Um, and this film has only sort of grown in my anticipation uh, levels. Uh, you know, as the months have gone on, I've really thought that this is a film A24 should just release uh, during uh, during quarantine, but. They've yet to do so. They've yet to really say anything about any of their upcoming like theatrical releases, The Green Knight, After Yang, any of these movies that were supposed to be coming out this year. And then just out of the blue, they dropped this 40-second teaser for Zola, which doesn't really show very much at all. It, it has like a little bit of a voiceover, which is like the beginning of the Twitter thread that this movie is based on. It's based on this Twitter thread about this woman taking a wild road trip to Florida or th all this stuff goes wrong. Um, and so you hear like a little bit of voiceover, like what I, what I understand is the beginning of the, the Twitter thread, but really there doesn't seem much purpose for a 24 dropping this because at the end of the teaser, they just say Zola coming soon. Like there's no date on it. There's no like, Hey, we're actually going to release this on VOD. It's just kind of a, this movie is out there. Some people have seen it because it's shown at Sundance and people, you know, those people who have seen it have been very vocal about it, but we're not going to show it to you. So it feels like kind of a, a jerk move, but it is what it is. Look, it's it's a uh, it's a 24 game back at all the film bros. <laughs> defend I, them. So. I mean, look, look, a ton of people saw Mulan because it had its freaking premiere uh, before COVID happened. True. So. Like it's a weird time. Yeah. Zola, look, it seems like a prime candidate for a VOD release, but a24 has been very reticent to do that sort of stuff, even though they've certainly been okay with shipping out some of their, what they viewed as lesser quality movies in the past uh, on VOD. So we'll see if they stomach it and, and do it. I wonder if they're trying to find some sort of partnership with a, with a, honestly, with a studio or with like a Netflix or a streaming service just to get the guaranteed money back. Cause I think a VOD release can be a little bit tricky, especially if you're going to charge $20 uh, in this day and age. Like I don't think Zola would be a $20 VOD release. Like I don't think that'd be a, It'd probably be a mistake for them to do that. So they're probably just trying to figure out if it's financially viable, right? Like, will people buy it? Will people watch it? Um, but the truth is, look, like this is a this is a true teaser. You know, I think sometimes teasers basically just become short trailers. But this is just this just feels like our true teaser, true sense of the word. Yeah. Um, and that can be exciting. But in your case, maybe a little bit frustrating, given the context. 
Yeah, I don't get it, but hey, we'll we'll see this movie someday, God willing. Um, but Scott, final movie to talk about, one that we are definitely going to see in the next couple of months. I believe an October Netflix release uh, slated for this one. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things, which is uh, the new film from Charlie Kaufman. Uh, Charlie Kaufman being uh, primarily known for his screenwriting. Um, in film very you know he's known for his very experimental films like uh like being john malkovich and uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and adaptation, adaptation. um the, you know he he's i believe if not an academy award winner academy award nominee probably multiple times for for some of these movies these are very popular and acclaimed movies um and he hasn't written a movie in in quite a while i i forget what the last thing i think was Synecdoche, New York? I don't. I, I think he's done something since Synecdoche, New York. But um, he has Anomalisa. been Anomalisa. Okay, but he. But that has been some years now. So he's been off the radar a little bit since Anomalisa. People have been waiting for his next project, and this is it. It is. I'm thinking of any things coming to Netflix in October. It is based on a novel by Ian Reed uh, and Scott. I actually just read this novel while I was on vacation because I'm intrigued by the trailers in this movie and. I have to say, from from looking at the trailers, I was a little uh, confused on why this was going to be a Charlie Kaufman project, just because of the types of movies that he's done. Those those movies that I named there, this seemed like more of a straightforward like thriller, maybe with some horror elements to it. Um, that you know, then like a you know this experimental mind trip like uh, like Kaufman is known for. But after reading the book, I think this definitely seems like Kaufman flair. Yes, there is this, you know, thriller plot that I think will make for some really suspenseful and exciting set pieces in the movie. Um, but also there's this really like philosophical edge to it. I, I'll be interested to see how he 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 gets across a lot of like the uh, conversation because because a lot of stuff happens just in this one conversation in the car between the two characters. How much of that conversation is he going to be giving us? Is he going to be using voiceover for a lot of things? Like it strikes me as something where you would need to to use a lot of voiceover in order to give it the the psychological heft that the story ultimately has, I think. But I still think that this could be a, a really good film. And I think Kaufman is, you know, he, he's as reason. We, we have reason to trust him. I think it's in good hands with him. Uh, and it's also in good hands, right, with with the two couple of with the, with the stars that we see in this film. Um, the, the main couple in the film who most of the plot centers around uh, are played by Jesse Buckley and uh, Jesse Plemons. Um, and in particular, I think that Jesse Plemons is going to be perfect for, for this role. After reading the book, uh, I can totally see him in this role of Jake, who is sort of the, the male protagonist here. Tony Collette is also in the film as the mother of, of uh, Jesse Plemons' character. Um, and they really sort of play up her role in the trailer. Uh, but it's not as significant in the book. It's really not. I mean, th there is definitely a significant episode that happens involving the parents, but um, they, we talked about this, Scott, when we saw this trailer, they're definitely going for a get out feel, I think of like, Hey, I'm taking my, yeah. In the trailer, I'm taking my, you know, new girlfriend to meet my parents and something's not right about them. There's something a little off kilter about them. And uh, Tony Collette, obviously good at playing that type of role. I, 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 you know, have faith that she'll bring a lot to this smaller role, but um, that is not what the what the story is, and I, I would be very surprised if the movie goes down that road. They would have to be making significant deviations from the novel. But Scott, I think this is going to be a really intriguing movie to watch. I'm very interested to see what Charlie Kaufman is going to do and how he can bring the extra layers that the novel has to uh, again a, a 
interesting and suspenseful thriller plot, but I think what distinguishes this and what could distinguish the film is that, you know, that undercurrent that I'm talking about of like almost philosophical at times. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something you expect from Charlie Kaufman, like some 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 level of philosophical nature to the film. And yeah, I was reading, I was listening, I shouldn't say reading, I was listening to some reactions on the Slash Film podcast uh, uh, to this trailer and them talking about, or at least one of them, I can't remember if it's, maybe it was Ben Pearson who was talking about how, because he's read the book, and talking about how they really are, if the film follows closely the book, they are, are really not selling what the movie for what it is because the vast majority of the plot takes, like you said, is this long conversation in the car in the way. And really everything, you know, at the parents' house is relatively minimal compared to the rest of the film. Whereas like the trailer feels like it plays up like this time that they're yeah. spending. At but, the that, but there's not a good way to sell like a conversation probably in a, no, in a trailer, no. unless you're like Richard Linklater making the next movie in the before trilogy. But yeah, sure. And I, and I think that's a fair point. And I think that, you know, if you're going to go ahead and maybe not, you know, 100% accurately sell this film for what it is, you might as well also evoke some get out since, you know, that was a mm -hmm. cultural phenomenon from a few years ago overall. But yeah, no, it's really exciting. And you're talking about this movie released in October. Scott, we're going to review this movie in just a few weeks. It's September 4th is when it comes out. Whoa. I, I, we were just I, talking I guess, about it before the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're right. I, I guess I was just thinking that there is a lot of stuff coming out in October. I think Rebecca is May. the one that I'm thinking of. We didn't get a trailer for, for that, but we did find out that it's going to be coming out in mid-October. Yes. Yeah, Mank, obviously, uh, yeah. We, we heard about it. You know, We're still waiting for the firm date on that. We think we know when it's going to be. And then isn't there something coming out at the start of October, too? Probably. Trial of the Chicago Seven, I believe, is coming out in October. Oh yeah, that's a Netflix film now. That's um, so so yeah. The yeah. October, I guess, in my brain is like that's when everything's coming out. But yeah, there's two movies that we've talked about here. I'm thinking of anything's Devil All the Time and Mulan, right? That are all going to be coming out in September. So uh, it's going to be a a good couple of months, I think, compared to what we've had over the summer. Yeah, it's uh, With, like only the sporadic like. Hey, there's here's the five bloods or here's Hamilton, you know, like yeah. sporadic big moment. Obviously, Hamilton's not an average film, but disappointed by the five. Not a film no. at all, many would say. Well, I disagree, but that's fine. Um, anyway, moving on from that, I think that, yeah, look, look, the film looks interesting. I, I'm really excited to see what they make of it. And now I just have to decide whether or not I'm going to read the book before. The movie comes out, but I don't I have say, time to read the book. It's a very short read. It's only 220 pages. I read it in like a couple of days, so. Yeah, you could I felt that way about normal people. Yeah. yeah, I watched normal people, and then I read the book in like two days. It's a very yeah. short read. It's like 250 pages. So, Which is crazy because the show feels like it spans so much time. I mean, it does span so much time, but... Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, the show's only... Is it, I mean, what, five and a half hours, maybe? Because it's like yeah. less than 30-minute episodes. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I take your point. It's basically two... It, it feels like two movies. Yeah. Like you just get so sucked minutes. in, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean... <laughs> I guess I was going to say podcast listeners know how I feel about it, but you probably don't actually, because I don't think we talked about it on here. I uh, have, love, but, but Scott yeah. hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Love that show. Great show. Probably my favorite of 2020 so far. So yeah. anyway, I think that should do it. Scott, any other films you want to mention here? I think that covered it. Yeah. Like, like I said, Rebecca, we also found out is going to be um, in October. That's the Ben Wheatley version of the Daphne du Maurier novel famously made into a Hitchcock film as well. Uh, that was my, I think, number three most anticipated when we did our most anticipated. Uh, yeah. Like that's Lily James and Army Hammer and Kristen yeah. Scott Thomas. So that's another one to look forward to coming to Netflix. Totally. And my number one anticipated movie of the year is probably going to come out in a couple of weeks. <laughs> we'll see. Oh. I have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, where can people find you on Twitter, Scott? Uh, I am at Scarby Dent. And I can be found at Shelton2013 over on Twitter, where you can also follow our podcast at, at Media Plug Pods. You can also subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the episode notes. And don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Media Plug Pods, where you can check that out for yourself. Pick the tier that's right for you and support us if you can. If you don't, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts where we'd appreciate if you rated and reviewed as well as subscribed and shared all that jazz so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. And with that, I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode where we'll be reviewing the A24 slash Apple TV plus documentary boys state until then for Scott Harvey. I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.